0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Weddings. They're the one most significant and joyful times in our lives. The couple wants everything to just be perfect, from the flowers to the cake. However, it is a stressful time. A lot of time and energy is spent in planning, preparing, and shopping. Every year, wedding surveys reveal the average wedding cost per state. About 7,600 couples participated in one study. Before COVID 19, the average wedding costs were around $28,000. Now, the costs have slightly changed to $23,000 due to the amount of guests and other complications of COVID. So I guess COVID hopes in that part. Weddings are a big business for the industry. No matter how much money couples spend on their ceremony and reception, something always goes wrong. It always does. Now, whether the guests or the couple know about the mishap is another thing. In my own wedding to my children's mother, the unity candle could not be lit at all during the ceremony. The flame kept going out. I guess we should have taken that as a sign. We didn't laugh about it then, but later, looking back, it seems as if God was trying to tell us something. Today's gospel recounts a famous wedding recorded in scripture, the wedding at Cana. John's account of this wedding sets the stage for Jesus to publicly demonstrate his divinity by turning water into wine. This miracle becomes the first sign revealed the glory of Jesus. And because of this sign, his disciples begin to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Throughout the narrative of the Gospel of John, the author clearly intends to display signs or miracles of Jesus so unbelievers may have faith in God's Son and to strengthen and to validate those who already have faith in Jesus. Weddings in the Mediterranean culture at this time lasted for many days, and even at times, the celebration would go on for weeks. Sometimes, depending upon the status of the groom and the bride, the entire village would be invited along with the couple's relatives and friends. Within a society built of shame and honor, to have wine ran out would be a public humiliation and dishonor. This would not be the way the newlywed couple would like to start off their marriage. The couple would be ostracized and excluded from society, creating a ripple effect of future social and economic repercussions. Running out of wine would be disastrous. We see in the text that Jesus' mother Mary was there and probably knew the families hosting the wedding and may have been there even to help the host. This would account on her knowing the wine was running out. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. When they arrived, Jesus is greeted by his mother, telling him the wine is about to run out. Jesus' response to his mother may seem harsh to us postmodern audience and Christians, yet translations explain Jesus was really treating his mother with respect by calling her woman, changing her status as his mother to a disciple. I love how the Message Bible reads, Is that any of our business, mother, yours, or mine? It isn't my time. Don't push me. What Jesus is really saying, Mother, as my follower, you know what my mission and purpose is. Are you really ready for me to begin my passion? Mary responds out of knowing her son's ability and identity by telling the servants, Whatever he tells you, do it. Don't you just love that? Mary, the chosen one, was obedient to God by giving birth to her son. And now she is telling others they too must be obedient to God. Whatever he tells you, do it. Episcopalians and Roman Catholics may disagree on certain theological concepts regarding Mother Mary However, in this passage, we do see Mary approaching and petitioning Jesus on behalf of the bride and groom. Even today, my personal belief is that Mary continues to petition to Christ on our behalf and on the behalf of the world. Jesus then orders the servants to fill the empty purification vases with water, and they fill it to the brim. Then he tells the servants to draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. We are not told exactly when the water was turned to wine, if it happened instantaneously, or if the water gradually transformed into wine. Either way, when the servant poured the wine into the host's cup, visible wine was coming forth. The host of the banquet exclaims to the wedding couple his astonishment They have served the best wine until now. The wedding couple probably had no idea what was going on behind the scenes until the host proclaims to the entire party the best wine was being served. The author of John likes to use a theological literary device called substitution. You see, the six purification vases were empty, representing the current Mosaic covenant the Hebrew people Adhere to. The law was spiritually killing the people. Just like the empty purification vases, the law had left the Israelites spiritually empty. In Hebrew scripture, traditionally, the number six represents an incomplete number. John is plainly telling his audience, by the coming of Jesus to the world, Jesus becomes the seventh purification vase The perfect one, the best one, or the sinless one to purify the people from their sins. Through his death on the cross as a sin offering to the world, Jesus is replacing the old covenant with his blood considered the new wine. Does this have Eucharistic overtones? It sure does. In a very clear way, John's readers will automatically correlate this new wine to the cup of salvation in the Eucharist feast. But notice how Jesus becomes the perfect substitute. The Mosaic law of purification was centered on the exterior of an individual by washing oneself with water before eating and by using this water to clean their cooking utensils and other household things. You see, the law started on the exterior and was to control the interior spirit towards righteousness and holiness. Yet many times it became a crutch, leading the people of Israel into a false sense of being right with God on the exterior, but far from him in their hearts. Many still are in the deceptive cycle today. By thinking if they go to church occasionally, pray over their meals, and live a morally good life, they're being religious and surely are in favor with God. This is the same trap the Pharisees and scribes fell into, perceiving themselves to have a monopoly on God while shaming others out of the temple. To them, it was all about the exterior appearances while the interior was as dead as dead could be towards God. The vases set aside for purification at the wedding had gone empty, along with the wine. Instead of filling the wine vases with this new wine, Jesus substitutes the purification water parts with his own wine. Becoming a follower of Jesus starts on the interior and then spreads outward into our thoughts, feelings, choices, and speech. It becomes a way of life. The Pharisees had it backwards. In a sense, Jesus was taking the old covenant that had become disordered with hundreds of rules causing hardships and divisions and replaced the water with something better, his new wine. His kingdom was to begin in the hearts of the believers. Notice how Jesus told the servants to fill the vases. The servants not only filled the vases, but they filled them up to the brim, almost overflowing. The servants must have already been impressed with Jesus at the celebration and out of their expectation of a miracle, not just a small miracle, but a miracle to almost flowing. You see, the servants were in tune to the abundance of possibility when Jesus becomes invited to intervene. I want to say that again. The servants were in tune to the abundance of possibility when Jesus becomes invited to intervene. However, the vases were empty. The purification vases and the wine both ran out, bone dry. We too may feel bone dry spiritually and physically today. As we started this new year and church season, maybe we need to ask ourselves some questions. Where are we feeling empty, dry, or desert-like? What has failed in the past year for us personally or spiritually? As Jesus was invited to the wedding celebration, we too need to invite Jesus into the everyday portions of our lives. Handling life on our own strength, our own abilities, without the intervention of Jesus, our efforts will only go so far. If God is not in them, they will fail. Perhaps you're not empty today, but you're filled the vases with yourself, your desires, and maybe even your own anger or resentments. But unless you let go of what is keeping you from experiencing God's abundance of new wine, life will never be for you, As God intended. I once had a visit with a patient who wanted to speak with a chaplain. I entered her room and she was laying in her bed, and you could see the tears streaming from her cheek. She was an older black woman, built very strong. You could tell by her physical body, she had worked hard all of her life. She looked tough, yet it was very evident she was emotionally upset. I smiled and sat down next to her, and I held out my hand and took hold of hers, and I simply said, tell me, why are you crying? She began to tell me her story of courage and resilience as she festered anger towards people who have treated her wrongly throughout her life. As she was telling me about her experiences, she dropped my hand and she started to pull her fingers together into a tight fist. I could tell not only was she angry, but she was hurt deeply. Then she revealed to me that she's going to be sent home to die. There was nothing more the medical team could do for her. She said, I'm not ready to die. I feel so far from God. What should I do? I looked at this beautiful woman who's gone through so much in her life. I, too, wanted to be angry with all the injustices she had endured. However, the reality was clear. She was dying with a heart full of anger. I took hold of her fist and I said, Naomi, you have no room for God because your heart is so full of anger and hurt. You must be exhausted by holding all to this anger. I believe that you've heaped anger upon anger in your heart up to the brim. You have no room for God because your anger and hurt have shut him out. I continued to tell her, God's love for you goes deeper than your anger and all of your hurt. Her fist gradually started to let go and you could see her body beginning to relax. Then we prayed for God to help her let go of all the emotional barriers keeping her from experiencing God's mercy and love in her heart. When I left the room, Naomi was still crying. But I believe these were tears of joy. Her vases were finally empty so Jesus could feel his new wine. Maybe I need to change the question today. Where in our lives today do we need to invite Jesus in? Our marriages? Finances? Our families? The workplace? Our habits? Our attitudes? Friends we hang with? Jesus will never force his way in. He has to be invited. Once Jesus is invited into our lives, we too, like the wedding servants, can be in tune to the abundance of life offered by his new wine. The cheap wine this world has to offer will run out. The best wine is being served. All are welcome. Come and drink.